0: good morning to everyone. Merry Christmas. Christmas. I just got a few more days and uh, Christmas is already here and and over. Amen. (laughs) Amen to that. Um, Well, it's an honor that you're here uh, with us this morning. Uh, If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to grab it or pick it up on your whatever you have and um, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. This is what Martin Lloyd-Jones says is the panoramic view of the gospel, and I just thought on this day I wouldn't give you anything earth-shattering, but give you a Christmas message based out of Ephesians chapter 2, uh, if I can. Uh, so I know we're not in John, so everybody calm down. We'll get back to John uh, next week. Uh, so I got a little bit of work to do, and I want to just kind of honestly just give you a story, because uh, I don't want to assume everyone who is here understands this story, of the Bible or the story of the gospel and how we get the gospel. And uh, so if, if perhaps you've never heard the story of the Bible, the story of the gospel, this could be uh, earth shattering to you. But for the rest of us who've heard this, uh, this is our fundamental belief uh, as the story of the Bible goes. Uh, so, so it starts out, in fact, it starts well before Jesus arrives. Uh, the story of salvation uh, starts well before Jesus gets here. Uh, uh, on earth and God in flesh and so what happens is uh, the story has a main character and guess what that main character isn't you the main character is one person now this is going to kind of uh, blow our minds for just a minute but I promise we'll 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 flesh this out more in the coming weeks one character God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit okay I know I just said three but that's one character okay I know that's like you still can't grasp some of his and sometimes I'm just like what what do I believe and, and I understand we'll, we'll explain that in a few weeks so you'll have to come back and hear the trinity of the doctrine and, and this story began a long time ago where God creates everything and you see Holy Spirit you see Jesus you see God the Father all at work all in sync in the story of creation but something happens when uh sin enters into the world uh it, it really just kind of creates this need of where we as people need something to reconcile us back to the Father. Because now what happened is, is that uh, this sin has broken that relationship with the Father. And so now all of us being as sons of Adam are broken and we are dead and we stand against a holy and just God condemned. Merry Christmas, okay? And I promise you, it's going to get a lot more dark than that before it gets uh, happy and merry, okay? So you'll just have to hang with me, okay? And plus, I'm like amped up on Sudafed and coffee, and so I don't know how this sermon's going to go from here on out. But if it bombs, you'll blame John, because apparently I plagiarized all of my sermons from him, uh, but the devil is a lie. And so what happens is, is you get. Just, you know, hundreds of years later, we finally get a promise of salvation through a guy named Abraham, but the problem is Abraham is 75, and he ain't got no kids, and God tells him, you're going to have a child. Now, I'm 37, I think, and I got a two-year-old. I couldn't imagine, and if this is you, you're older, and you've got a toddler, you're older, you've got an infant than me, man, hats off to you, but I could not imagine any older than I am right now having a newborn. I would just, uh, y'all would never see me again. I mean, I'd, be in, I'd end up somewhere else, if you're if you following me, right? 75 years old, God tells Abraham that I'm going to restore. This story of salvation here begins. And God tells Abraham that, hey, Abe, through you, like salvation will come to the earth. So he's 75. Two chapters later, a couple decades passed by. Let's just say he's almost 100 years old, and guess what? Papa Wabe, great Papa Abe, ain't got no kids still. Now I couldn't imagine 75-year-old Matthew. I'm not going to ask you if you're 75-year-old in this room, but I'm going to assume we have someone who's close to it. And I couldn't imagine this one individual who I just pointed to have an infant <laughs> child, because y'all, because he, I, I love this man, and he's just, he's just that that guy that you know he. I'm going to stop right there. I couldn't imagine Doodle like at 100 years old with an infant. No offense. I mean, it's just, I couldn't imagine Matthew. I'll be a disgruntled old man when I get old. I'm going to be the old guy who's yelling at people on my yard to get off my lawn. All right? That's going to be me. And I couldn't imagine, this, this sermon's going to go way too long. I couldn't imagine Matthew Thrower at 100 years old having a child. But here's what God does in God's own time. He fulfills a promise. But Abraham doesn't see that promise completely fulfilled through Isaac, his son. He's going to go through a lot of testing. And so this story of this need of salvation for the people of God continues throughout the Old Testament. And it goes through the screaming prophets, which I can identify to a screaming prophet because deep down inside, I want to be a screaming prophet. You know, the old guy that's preaching and telling you all that you're condemned. And I think I've already done that. So I guess I'm already on my way. Um, you get these three prophets that are proclaiming about salvation that's coming to the world. And then in Matthew chapter one, you get a genealogy of Jesus. And a lot of these pe- people in the Old Testament, they're tied right up to the son of God, Jesus Christ. And he comes and the skies burst open with the angels celebrating and partying. Hosanna, he's here. The Lord of hosts, Christ has come. Now, who did who did they make that announcement to? Just a little trivia for you. Dirty <laughs> guys whom we probably wouldn't make a huge announcement to. I wouldn't announce the Messiah who's finally here to these, to these, to these morons, alright? Just a spiritual way of saying it without getting unsanctified before you. These dirty guys, these shepherds who were looked down upon. And the heralds of the angels are heralding before them this good news that the promise of salvation is here. And so now what was this past salvation where we got this promise of a hope becomes a present salvation within the people. And so Jesus comes, then he dies, and he rises from the grave, and then he ascends to the heavens And then we get this little dot, 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 where now all we have is a future salvation that is to come. All of that, what I just told you, is what we celebrate called Advent, which is the angst or the waiting of Christ's return. But now our Advent is the waiting for Christ to give us this or or to make good on this promise of a future salvation that is to come for all who believe for all who would believe and be saved, so I want to take you to Ephesians chapter two and kind of just reorient our minds and our hearts this morning before we get all up into uh, this week, who's busy. Which uh, myself and Quinny we're ready for it to be over with, and and I want us to just kind of reorient our hearts and really just contemplate on the theme of salvation, which is what Christ came to do and fulfill the promise. Of salvation. This is what stirs the hearts of all believers, and it continues to encourage us as believers for future hope that is to come. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Let's talk about salvation. And you were dead in your trespasses and your sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We, too, all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our spirit, of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourself, it is God's gift, not from work so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Would you pray with me this morning? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is life. I thank you, God, that you have chosen to communicate to us through the word of God. And I thank you, Lord, that your word brings life and light to darkness. I pray, God, that for everyone who is here who may be dead right now will come to find the power of the resurrection of Christ. God, as we contemplate and we think about the salvation as our past, present, and future hope, Lord, would you do what only you can do? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to just kind of talk through salvation as our past, our present, and future salvation. Now, salvation in the past refers to a great act that God has done for us, and that's what we call justification. That the moment that we are saved, that God then declares us righteous, and we have been justified in the eyes and the sight of God, because without this, This picture that Paul is painting is a reality for you. Look what he says. You were dead in your sins and trespasses. Notice who he's talking to. Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus who is made up of a body of believers and he's reminding this church of what their state used to be. And so the church then is this gathering of believers made up of individual peoples who makes up this whole identity of the body of Christ, the church. And Paul addresses them and he says, you, and I love this, not your mama, you. Not the person who's done you wrong, you. Not your child, although it is them, you. I love this. This is a universal indictment on not everybody else who thinks that you, that you think has a problem, Paul is addressing something. Say, listen, you are the problem. Now we don't want to hear that, right? Because I don't ever do anything wrong. <laughs> right? I don't. I, and in fact, it's always someone else's fault. It's always someone else's fault. The reason why I honk my horn is because they caused me to honk my horn. I know that sounds trivial, but when you get Miranda in the car, it's not trivial. It becomes this huge argument between us, right? I was like, well, they deserved it. She's like, well, you're gonna kill me, my son, because now this person's gonna draw a gun on us. I mean, it's just it, it's crazy. And so, and so, so you, you are your biggest problem. Outside of Christ, you are the problem. And notice the state that he gives you. You, you weren't bad. You weren't, eh, you were dead. At this point, Paul needs a hug. It's like, come on, Paul. Could you not like say something a little bit more gentle? But Paul wants you to see the reality of your state outside of Christ Jesus. That you, even in your best, when you're batting at a thousand, you're dead without Christ. It's important to understand this because you'll never really fully grasp the beauty of the gospel until you fully grasp What you are outside of the salvation of Christ. That you, at your best, is no good because you're dead. And you don't know what dead people do? Nothing. You ever seen a dead person just get up and start talking to you? No, you haven't. You are dead. Paul says, you are dead in what? Sin. Sin. Now, this is where it becomes pretty incredible because uh, we don't want to talk about that, but here's the reality of the state of our nature. That you, outside of Christ, you're dead, and not just yourself, but you're dead because of some cosmic issue that happened in the garden. Sin. And the only remedy to this is going to be what Paul is about to unfold to us. But right now, without christ jesus before christ saved each and every one of us paul's talking to a church whom we could uh whom we could um my words just got really jumbled i don't know if you just caught that but whom we can just kind of assume that many of them were believers and paul tells them listen i gotta paint this picture to you so that you can understand the stark contrast that's about to happen that you are dead in your sins that's the greatest dilemma of our world. That's the greatest dilemma in our culture. The greatest dilemma in our culture is not uh, inequality. It's not racism. The greatest uh, issue is not uh, anything—murder, whatever you you name it. That's not the greatest dilemma. The greatest dilemma is sin. That's the greatest dilemma. And so, outside of Christ, you find yourself in this state of being dead in this dilemma where you can't do anything outside of yourself to get you outside of this state of being dead. And then Paul is going to give us this remedy. So I want you to see what the power of salvation and why this is good news for us, because salvation as the past reality frees us of the power of guilt and shame. Now, that, that was good preaching, but I'm just going to amen myself right there. <laughs> See this now. The power of our past salvation, Christ saving us, it provides the remedy so that we no longer have to navigate, so we no longer have to kind of just feel sorry for ourselves, have all of this absorbing guilt because now Christ has freed us. That's the power of the past salvation. Now, look at this. Uh, this next part in verse 2, in which you previously lived according to the ways of the world. And so the ways of God is going to be very contrary to the ways of the world. Here's the way of the world. Y'all ready for this deep, deep revelation? The way of the world is sin. I know you're like, oh, man, that was so good. But really, that's, that's the way of the world. The world wants you to tell you that my way is better. They want to tell you that our way of marriage is better than the church's way of marriage. They want to tell you that our way of life, our way of all things is better than the church, than the gospel, than God's way. And it couldn't stand any further from the truth. And so now we're in this tension of who we are outside of Christ. And I want you to see this incredible conjunction because now it is going to reverse all of that and give you the remedy in which you need. Because in your state of deadness, you got to have something. But God. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us What? It's right there, y'all. Made us what? Alive. Y'all going to get, come on now. With Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. Hear the force of this, but God. Because hear me now. Dead people can't do anything with an invitation that God has. So who is it? that has to raise you from death. God, it is God who calls you from death to life. It isn't your works. Do you see how Paul is countering any works-based theology that is being presented in his day and universally in our day today? Because we all think that we've got to do something. We've got to be a better person. And then God is going to somehow see us in this good way and redeem us because of our good works. But Paul's like, listen, you're dead. You can't do anything. I mean, this is like, this is, this is what marks Christianity different than any other religion in the world. Because all religions think that you've got to do something. You've got to make yourself look good before a God in order for God to accept you. But Christianity is the opposite. God accepts you in your dead state, and he's the one that calls you, not you. You have no power to call yourself from death to life. So hear the power of this force of God's salvation. This hopelessness and this sad Paul that we get in verse 1 now stands in contrast to what's happening in verse 4. But now God gives us his grace, his unmerited favor towards us that he sent his son and broke open the skies and a baby named jesus and he sent us his grace this is the hope that we have this is the message of christmas this is the gospel in which we stand for and fight for this is what you and i think we need to graduate from sometimes and we just need these deeper revelations of god or or let's move on to something deep and and give me like sign gifts because that'd be really cool but you never graduate. You never move on from this because there are times in your life where you're just going to have to remind yourself, God has saved me. And God has me in his hands. That despite what I've done in my past, I'm no longer seen by those wicked things that I was because now through God's rich mercy and grace, he has accounted me as righteous. This is the beauty of the gospel that Paul here giving us for you are saved by grace through faith and this is not yourself there it is again it is God's gift not from works so that no man can boast by grace that's the answer to the question grace that's the answer to the question of what's going to happen now when Adam and Eve sinned that's the answer to our question here it's grace it's what Martin Luther said the truth of the gospel is the principal article of all Christian doctrine most necessary is it that we know this article well teach it to others and Luther's a little weird and beat it into their heads continually he may have meant that like literally too Luther was just a strange character. So here's Luther, and he and the other great reformers are standing in the face of the Catholic Church who is adding all of these things towards our salvation in order for us to be saved. And Luther and these reformers, they give us the solas, grace alone, faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. And now this is the doctrine in which we hold dear. That it's God's grace in which we find our salvation presently and who saves us and redeems us from our past. And I love verse 10 because now we're going to get a glimpse of our present salvation working. Verse 10, he says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which, by, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. I I love this part, because what God started inside of us when he saved you, he is faithful to complete it. That's Philippians chapter 1. Now, works are not the root of our salvation, because Paul has pretty pretty much clearly uh, communicated that to us. They're just the fruit of our salvation. So here we have this idea that salvation is not only just something that's happened to us in the past, but salvation is something that's currently happening in our present. Do you see this? So here we have this idea that we are his workmanship created for what? In Christ for good works. This is the process of salvation. It is this ongoing work that Christ is doing inside of you. You know what we call that? Sanctification. All right? There's you a pretty cool word. Sanctification is Christ doing the work inside of us. It's a call of Christ to the church to persevere so now Christ has commissioned us and now we are being continuously molded into the image of God Christ working inside of us in our saved state giving us this present reality of what salvation looks like we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works and so here is this last part here which gives us this future salvation. Gosh, is it hot in here to anyone else? Like, I guess we're just trying to get all Baptist on you and everything, make you feel the weight of eternity. (laughs) I don't know what's going on up in here. Maybe that or I'm just preaching like entirely too hard. Now, our future salvation in which he gives us, let me read this back to you because I want to back up just a little bit in verse Seven, So that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness in Christ Jesus. So now we get this idea of this future salvation. Now, I don't want to get too far outside of the text here, but our future salvation is something that is a part of the story of the Bible. That hear me now, because this is how Christ is working. God saved you. You were dead. You were in your sins, and then boom! But God, who's rich in mercy, He's called you from death to life. God gave you this invitation, and then we responded to this invitation, and we made alive in Christ. And He's working inside of us. He is sanctified. He is, he is molding us more into His image. And now we have this eternal hope. That the work of salvation isn't just something that's happened in our past. The work of salvation isn't just something that's happening in our present. But our work of salvation is something that we can hold on to. Because it is our future hope. That for those whom Christ has called and redeemed. One day, and this is our advent that we're in. One day we will be in an eternity with Christ forever. There will be no more tears. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more pain, no more sickness, no more cancer, no more Alzheimer's, no more of these just ridiculous diseases, no more tears, no sorrow. There's none of that in our future salvation because one day Christ will come to redeem us. And we will step into an eternity with him forever. That's the hope that we cling to. That for us is the assurance of all believers that while we may be experiencing suffering, I don't know, maybe you're not experiencing suffering. You've got this great amount of prosperity. Man, praise God for you. But that doesn't last forever. One day you will be in sorrow. You will be in pain. But dear friends, this is what separates us from the world. We have a future hope that the world doesn't have. And their suffering is meaningless. But for those of us who believe our suffering has a point, one day we'll be with Christ forever forever. And that makes this present reality, this present suffering, nothing compared to what awaits for us as believers in Christ. This is the work of salvation. Christ has saved us from our past. He's Emmanuel. He is driving out our fear with good news. He's driving out the questions, am I good enough? Will I ever do anything meaningful Can I be loved? Do I matter? He's driving out the fear with this love. He's reordering our affections for him and the power of salvation. Our salvation and the future that one day our eyes will be set upon his. And we'll look back at all of this waiting and in the darkest part of our days, those phone calls you perhaps wish you would have never gotten, The trauma that you wish you would have never had to walk through. The suffering that you witnessed. The persecution that you've seen. All of that. All of that. You will be standing victoriously with Christ. And that will seem like just a momentarily light affliction. Compared to the eternity that Christ Jesus has for us. And we will join... With Mary in the great, magnificent, my soul magnifies the Lord. You've looked on me with love. And you've saved me when I was just a child. Or maybe he saved you when you were in your latter part of your life. And he has sustained me through so much. And now you're here, Jesus. And now I magnify you, Jesus. My soul magnifies the Lord that despite how dirty I was and despite how dead I was and there are no levels of death you're dead, you're dead despite your death Christ raised us to life with him so that we have this future and glorious hope with him in all eternity that's our hope that we have and the hope in which we cling to. Let me pray for us this morning.